Let's turn in our Bibles once again to the Gospel of Luke, uh, Luke chapter 10. Uh, Coming to the end of this chapter, we're going to look this morning at verses 38 through 42. This is the, uh, I think, well-known story of Martha and Mary hosting Jesus uh, in their home. Now, before, I, before I read our passage, let's join our hearts together once again and ask for the Lord's help as we come to his word. Let's pray. Our Father, we confess our utter dependence upon you now. We cannot uh, read as we ought. We cannot understand what is clearly set forth here without the help of your Spirit. And we confess, Lord, that our hearts are prone to distraction Our hearts are prone to wonder. Our hearts are prone to be anxious about all kinds of things. And so, Lord, we pray that by by your grace that you would draw us once again to the one, one thing that is necessary. And that is to sit at the feet of our Savior and listen and learn uh, from him. And so bless us today. Give us understanding and uh, attention And help us to order our lives around what Jesus uh, teaches us here in this passage. All for Jesus' sake we pray. Amen. Luke chapter 10 beginning in verse 38. Now as they went on their way, Jesus entered a village. And a woman named Martha welcomed him into her house. And she had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet and listened to his teaching. But Martha was distracted with much serving. And she went up to him and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Tell her then to help me. But the Lord answered her, Martha, Martha, you are anxious and troubled about many things, but one thing is necessary. Mary has chosen the good portion which will not be taken away from her. Stressed out, uh, anxious, distracted, overwhelmed. wonder if that sounds familiar to you. Uh, Our culture has made, I think, a virtue of busyness. And many of us are paying the high price. We're living our lives being pulled this way and that way and this way and that way. And as uh, as Kevin DeYoung describes in his book, we're crazy busy. (laughs) But, uh, you know, the problem isn't just things coming at us from the outside. This is also a problem that stems from the human heart since the fall. Our hearts are prone to distraction. Our hearts are prone to be anxious about many, many things. And this passage reminds us that Jesus knows us. Uh, He knows uh, about the things that are pressing in on us, demanding our attention. And he knows the inner anxieties that exist within our our own hearts. And that's why I think we have this story. Jesus wants us to remember today that but one thing is necessary. One thing. One thing is needful. And uh, that's really all I have to say to you today. He wants us to unclutter our lives and give relief to our distracted hearts in this world that demands we spend our lives 
trying to do all kinds of things that, when we're honest, ultimately don't matter, Jesus reminds us that one thing is absolutely necessary. Now, this story, is, it's about two sisters. Both are believers, but they represent two different ways of, of life. And Jesus is going to tell us in this story which life is better. And so I want us to look at this story and see the three parts of this story. First, Mary is a model of a Christ-centered life. Second, Martha is a model of a stressed-out, anxious life. And third, Jesus tells us which life is best. And so first of all, let's think together about Mary, who is a model of a Christ-centered life. This story takes place while Jesus is headed to Jerusalem. You know, he's, he's headed there now to, to, uh, to die and to rise again. He is headed there to be the savior of his people. And so Luke begins this story with that reminder in verse 38. Now as they went on their way. But uh, I also want you to remember that this is the start of a new section in Luke's gospel. And from chapter 10, verse 38, through about midway of chapter 13, Luke has a major, major theme that he's going to come back to over and over again. And that theme is a relationship with Jesus Christ, which is what is at the heart of Christianity. Uh, And that theme starts here with Mary sitting at the feet of Jesus. So Jesus enters uh, the village of Bethany, and Martha welcomed him into her house. Literally, she received him. It's actually a special word that Luke uses in his gospel. Uh, Believers receive Jesus and his teaching. Unbelievers reject Jesus and his teaching. And so literally here, I think Luke is saying, Martha received Jesus into her home, not just as this sort of generic act of, yeah, come on over, but because she's a genuine disciple. That's important for us to realize because this story is telling us about two genuine disciples. So the contrast here isn't between an unbeliever and a believer. The contrast is between a distracted disciple and a Christ-centered disciple. Uh, Martha was distracted by many, many things, but Mary was focused on Jesus Martha was busy worrying about what she needed to do for Jesus. And uh, Mary was concerned about what she needed herself from Jesus. Now look at how Luke describes Mary in, uh, in verse 39. And she, Martha, had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet and listened to his Teaching. Mary sat at the Lord's feet. It's a posture of humility. It's the posture of a student at that time. At that time, students sat at the feet of their rabbis. You know, it indicates that Mary is eager to listen, eager to learn, and eager to obey. Remember the demoniac earlier in Luke's gospel, that man who was oppressed by demons, who was a terror to everyone in the surrounding region, and a man who was a a harm to himself. And Jesus comes into his life and heals him. And do you remember how we find the demoniac? The scene totally changes. We find him clothed and in his right mind, doing what? Sitting at the feet of Jesus. Uh, So this is a model here of a Christ-centered Disciple, one who sits at the feet of Christ, ready to learn and eager to obey. 
this is kind of an aside, but I think it's really important for us to see what this story is teaching us about the discipleship of women. The discipleship of women. Jesus welcomes women to learn from him. Now that maybe doesn't sound shocking to you, but in Jesus' day, that would have been utterly shocking, and in many parts of the world today, it, would, it remains an utter, utterly shocking reality that Jesus equally invites men and women to come and sit at his feet and learn from him. At that time, uh, rabbis did not allow women to be their official students. Most of them didn't even allow women to read Torah, though some made an exception there. But none of them allowed women to sit at their feet as their disciples. They thought that learning was just for the men. <laughs> and I think Jesus takes that kind of misogyny and just throws it in the trash. So what Jesus is doing here is something, nothing less than revolutionary by inviting Mary to sit at his feet and, and learn from him. He thought it was just as important for the women to know the doctrines of discipleship as they followed their Savior. Jesus understands, and I hope you understand, that you can't really be a healthy disciple without knowing the truth. And so women, just as much as men, are welcomed by Jesus to sit at his feet and learn from him. And then interestingly, as we just think about Martha together for a couple of minutes, you know, Mary appears in the Gospels on, on three important occasions. And when you take those occasions together, it creates a beautiful picture of a Christ-centered disciple. Here is Mary in Luke chapter 10, doing what? She's sitting at the feet of Jesus, learning from him. And then in John chapter 11, when her brother Lazarus has died, we find Mary casting herself at the feet of Jesus, taking her troubles to him. And then in the very next chapter, we have Mary pouring out perfume on the feet of Jesus as an act of worship. Isn't that a beautiful, beautiful picture of a Christ-centered disciple? Somebody who sits at the feet of Jesus and learns from him. Someone who takes their cares and their troubles to him. And someone who worships him. That's Mary. That's what it means to be a Christ-centered disciple. But notice more closely what Mary is doing here in Luke chapter 10. Uh, Mary appears three times, as I just said, but this time she's sitting as a, as, a, as a disciple at the master's feet. And what is she doing? She's listening to his word. She's engaged. She's hanging on every word that is coming out of Jesus's mouth. So she listened with intent she listened to learn. She listened to submit. She listened to have her life changed by the teaching of her master. Now, you know, how can we do this, right? Because that's, that should be the question. We can't sit physically at the feet of Jesus. But I hope you understand that you can do exactly what Mary did. We too must sit at the feet of Jesus and learn from him. So how do we do that? We listen to his words in scripture, don't we? This, my friends, this is the word of Christ. Jesus himself says to his disciples, all of the Old Testament is about me. All of the Old Testament teaches the way of salvation through faith in Jesus Christ. And when you get to the New Testament, you have the teaching of Jesus Christ himself. And so when we read or hear the New Testament read and faithfully preached, this should be our mindset. We are hearing the very word of Christ. 
And so we want to be like Mary, active and engaged, listening and learning, believing and seeking to obey all that our Lord and Master tells us. And so Mary's a model of a Christ-centered life. This must define us as individual disciples and as a community of disciples. We are called to be a people who make it the great aim of our lives to sit at the feet of Jesus and listen and learn. But that leads us to Martha, who is a second model, not a good model. Uh, Martha is a model of a stressed out, distracted, and anxious life. So while all this teaching is going on and Mary's seated there at Jesus' feet, there is there's a storm brewing in Martha's heart. She's working away. She's slaving away. She's working uh, to the bone, trying to make sure there's, there's food and everything's prepared. There's drinks. And, and there is her sister who has the audacity to just sit there at Jesus' feet and not lift a hand to help. And it all becomes too much for Martha. So she comes up to Jesus and she says, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Tell her, tell her to get up, tell her to start helping me. I think here as this story is told by Luke, Mary is contrasted with Martha, who is distracted and anxious about many things. I want you to notice some symptoms here of a stressed out and anxious life. First of all, it's an unnecessarily busy life. Notice how she is described in verse 40. She is distracted by much serving. It wasn't just the necessary serving needed to show hospitality. It was much serving. She busies herself. She fusses over all the details. And she's anxious and she's troubled about all of these things, Jesus says. As you read the story, you get a sense that Martha is a bit of a perfectionist. That she sees this as a kind of performance that she has to do. Everything has to be just right. So she works and she works and she labors and labors and she stresses over everything, every little detail. Secondly, it's a distracted life. She's pulled all these different directions, every which way. That's actually what the word distracted means. It means to be pulled away from something. Martha has other things on her mind, mind than listening to Jesus. Other priorities to attend to. And, and notice, you know, that the, the irony of this story is what she is distracted by. She is distracted by service. So at first glance, when you looked at Martha and you maybe looked at this situation, you would think Martha is doing exactly the right thing. Mary should, should get up and help her. What is Mary doing just sitting there? We see as Jesus speaks here, actually her service has become a distraction, pulling her away from the one thing, the one thing she needs to be doing. She's pulled away from the one thing Jesus says is necessary. Third, it's an angry life. Uh, Martha just couldn't take it anymore. Imagine this. She goes up to the Lord and says, Lord, do you not care? how shocking that is to say that to the Lord Jesus this is this is the Lord who came to earth because of how much he cares 
This is the Lord who has devoted himself to a life of humiliation and shame and rejection and eventual crucifixion because of how much he cares. This is, this is the Lord who was willing to, to bear the curse of God against our sin because of how much he cares. This is the Lord who has gone about teaching and healing and showing love and compassion. And Martha comes to her, him and says, Lord, do you not care? And you see, Martha has lost perspective. She's, she's angry. And this is what happens when we become sinfully angry, isn't it? We lose perspective. We begin to, we no longer see things as they really are. We lose a biblical worldview. All the while, Martha didn't see that the real problem wasn't with what other people weren't doing. The real problem was with what Martha wasn't doing. Uh, here's what happens, though, when we become sinfully angry. We lose perspective. We lose a right view of things. But fourth, it's a self-centered life. Look at what Martha says. Just notice the, close, the language closely. My sister has left me to serve alone. See, it's really all about Martha. And here's another thing that happens when we're overly busy, distracted, and angry. We become turned in on ourselves. We become self-centered. We begin to feel bad for ourselves. There's a little bit of self-pity here, isn't there? I'm doing all the work. And no one, no one is lifting a finger to help. But fifth and finally, it's a demanding life. Martha starts making demands. She tells the Lord to tell Mary to get off her duff and start doing some work. Tell her to get up and start helping me. Now look at the contrast here between Mary and Martha. Just think about this. Here's Mary humbly listening to everything the Lord says. And now Martha barges in and she begins telling the Lord what to say. She's not listening. She's demanding. She's putting the words in Jesus' mouth. She's telling him what to do. Okay, so here are some symptoms of a distracted, anxious life. And I'm sure that in at least one or two ways we can identify with Martha we so easily become distracted and anxious and troubled about all sorts of things. And we lose focus on the one necessary thing, the one thing that's needed. Like her, then, we can, we can get angry at others for not doing what we think they ought to be doing. Like her, we can become self-centered and indulge ourselves in a little bit of self-pity. And we can convince ourselves everyone else is in the wrong while we justify ourselves. And we end up living this, this busy, distracted, angry, self-centered, demanding life. And so there's the contrast between Mary and Martha. And notice what Martha wants. Martha wants Jesus to pick a side, doesn't she? Martha wants vindication. Martha wants Jesus to stand with her and say, Mary, you need to be more like your sister Martha. You need to get up. And you need to start doing what your sister is doing. Well, notice this, uh, Jesus does choose a side. Jesus does vindicate someone, but it's perhaps not who we'd expect. Uh, Jesus it tells Martha that she's got it all wrong. And now Jesus tells us uh, which life is best. And that's the third thing I want us to think about for a few minutes. Take a look at how Jesus responds to Martha 
in verse uh, 41. The Lord answered her, Martha, Martha, you are anxious and troubled about many things, but one thing is necessary. So Jesus describes these two lives. Martha's life is a many things life, and Mary's life is a one thing life. Now, the way Jesus counsels Martha, I think, is really instructive. So let's just slow down and walk through verse 41 together and see a few things. Look at what Jesus does. He says at the start, Martha, Martha. The repetition of her name was a way at that time of expressing endearment and love and concern. So Jesus comes to Martha after Martha has come to Jesus and begins with love. He doesn't say what he says to Martha here in order to bash her or to heap a pile of guilt upon her shoulders. He doesn't come speaking harshly or to blast her away. He speaks out of love and real concern for Martha's well-being. He wants to make clear from the start that what he's about to say is for Martha's good. And then secondly, he acknowledges her anxiety and her trouble. He doesn't just jump to, here's what you need to do. He identifies her stress. Uh, She's disturbed and divided would be a literal reading of what Jesus says. So there's, Jesus is is saying there's this, he, he notices, he takes note of that there are these outward things that are part of her troubles, that are pressing in on her. But and inwardly, at the same time, she's anxious and she's deeply troubled. And so here's this approach of, of Jesus, the great counselor. He begins by expressing love and sympathy. And my friends, let me suggest that that's how we ought to approach one another when we're seeking to bring real help. Begin with love, begin with sympathy. He takes notice of how she's feeling as well as the outward demands that she feels are pressing in on her. But he doesn't finish there, does he? He doesn't, he doesn't just say, Martha, I love you and I see that you're stressed. I'm sorry. I hope you start feeling better. I'll pray for you. Um, no, Jesus goes beyond that. Jesus wants to offer real, real help. Not that prayer isn't real help, by the way. But So when he says, you are anxious and troubled about many things, but one thing is necessary. He's saying, Martha, I think he's giving her an invitation. He's saying, Martha, come away from those many, many things. Those unnecessary things. Yes, yes, hospitality is needed. Yes, service is good. It's something the Lord commands. Yes, caring for the needs of others is something I want you to do, but you are busying yourself with all of this extra stuff, and it's not needed. Your your life is, is weighed down by all of these unneeded things. You don't have to act like your service to others is a performance. You don't have to be a perfectionist. Think about it. Jesus has has come to fellowship with Martha and Mary. And Martha is turning this into a total nightmare. Leave those unnecessary things, Jesus is saying. 
And in place of all of the unnecessary things, Jesus gives Martha the one necessary thing. He wants to reprioritize her life. He, he points her away from all of the unnecessary things that stress her out to the one thing that's needful. He's telling her, if you make this one thing the priority, Martha, your life would be different. If you'd sit and listen to my words, your whole approach to life would change. Your life would be un become uncluttered. Your overwhelming, exhausted, unmanageable to-do list would begin to shrink and shrink and shrink. And you'd begin to see that so many of the demands that the world places upon you and so many of your self-made expectations are not needed. Do you know, I th just, let's just be honest. Uh, on first reading, uh, when I was reading this in preparation, my, my sympathies with Martha. I want to say, come on, Jesus. You know what? Fine. You, can, you, and, you and Mary, you, know, you can go on being all spiritual. Who's going to make supper? <laughs> you can go on sitting there talking about the Bible. Who's going to put food on your plate? You can go on and, and sit there and talk about uh, discipleship. But who's going to make sure the dishes are done and the beds are made and there's a place for you to sleep tonight? You see, at first reading, you, 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 our inclination, I think, is to sympathize with Martha here. But Jesus knows Martha has forgotten that the one, this one necessary thing. And as a result, her life is, is distracted, anxiety-driven, and filled with stress. So he's just making this simple point. But one thing, one thing is necessary. One thing is needed. Don't, don't misunderstand Jesus, friends. This is not one more thing to add to your to-do list. Uh, this, is, this is your to-do list, Jesus is saying. If you do this one thing, everything else will fall in place. So this isn't one more thing to squeeze into your already busy schedule. This is not one more thing to add to your calendar. I know some of you may maybe feel like that person at the circus juggling, you know, five or six balls at a time. And this is not Jesus coming along and tossing another ball into the mix. This is Jesus offering the one necessary thing. And I think we have, I think the reason we have this lesson taught with this story is because it presents us with a situation where it, it deliberately presses home the point. Because you want to say, you want to say, come on, Jesus. Martha's doing the necessary thing. Mary's doing the unnecessary thing. The teaching can wait. The people need to eat. People need to be taken care of. And Jesus says, nope, you've got it backwards. You've got it all wrong. Mary has chosen the good portion. Well, friends, I wonder what unnecessary things Jesus might point to if he came and looked at our lives. What unnecessary things are keeping you from this one great necessity? And in this passage, Jesus is inviting us to unclutter our lives and refocus us on the one thing that matters most. Just to be clear, what is the one necessary thing? 
What is it? What's the one necessary thing? It is to sit at the feet of Jesus and learn from him. Uh, Ahead of your work, one thing is needed. Ahead of your family responsibilities, one thing is needed. Ahead of your physical needs, one thing is needed. Ahead of your hobbies and your pleasures, one thing is needed. Ahead of your social life, one thing is needed. Ahead of your children's activities, one thing is needed. Ahead of your social events, one thing is needed. Even ahead of your service in the church, one thing is needed. Sit at the feet of Jesus and learn from him. And we know that's the one necessary thing because Jesus points us back to Mary. Look at what he says. Mary chose the good portion and it will never be taken away from her. There is a play on words here. Martha's been slaving away in the kitchen, preparing all of this food, you know, uh, appetizers, hors d'oeuvres, desserts. Jesus is saying, Martha, you've missed the main course. You've missed the feast. And Mary, here she is at my feet, and she's enjoying the good portion. She's enjoying the main course. And Jesus says that this portion will never be taken away. It it will not fade. It will not spoil. You know, yes, feeding people is important. Yes, service is a good thing. And people need temporary sustenance. Think about the contrast here. You know, you eat a meal and a few hours later you need more. And Jesus is saying the portion Mary chose offers eternal sustenance. Uh, the portion that Jesus offers us, dear friends, is of abiding, eternal significance. And so with love and sympathy, Jesus says, Martha, you've come in here demanding that I tell Mary to be like you. And I tell you, you need to be more like Mary. You need to sit at my feet. And learn from me. You need to remember that there is but one thing necessary. You need to be like your sister. You see, Jesus is telling us which life is best. He is choosing a side. And he's choosing the one thing life. It's a life that chooses the good portion. That can never ever be taken away. And so Jesus today is calling us away from unrealistic expectations, the busyness that our culture has turned into a virtue, the overloaded schedules, the trying to keep up with the Joneses, the stress and the anxiety, and on and on and on. And he's calling us to a simple Christ-centered life. Martha, Martha, quit working yourself to the bone and just come and sit, come and learn, and your life will be changed. Let's just think here for a few minutes practically about this story. What are some implications? I think I have have three or four. Uh, First, I think the story is teaching us that if we would make sitting at his feet the priority of our lives, the rest of our lives would fall into the right place. Don't misunderstand Jesus. It's not as though Jesus is saying that we should abandon every other thing in our lives. Some things, perhaps, 
But if we make sitting at his feet the necessary thing, the one thing, the other things will be rightly ordered. If we listen to him and seek to obey him, it will change our priorities and over time shape our lives. Why is that the case? Because as disciples whose sins are forgiven, Jesus is in the business of reshaping and reforming our lives. And my friends, he's doing that through his word and by the Holy Spirit. Second, this this story is teaching us that Jesus wants to reprioritize your life. As Lord, he arranges our priorities. He takes the demands of this world and our own made-up expectations for ourselves and says, let's just, let's just set those aside. Let's do away with those. Show me, show me your schedule. Let me see that urgent column. Let's move everything else out of that column and let's just put one thing, one thing, one necessary thing. Jesus sets his people free from the stress that the world lays upon you. Third, this story teaches us that Jesus defends those who sit at his feet. This simple life, dear friends, is not going to be a popular life. Notice that Mary is criticized by another believer. Think of what the world might think. We're going to think you're wasting your time, that you could be doing other things. And you, you and I, might even heap guilt on ourselves, thinking there there are other things, more important things I could be doing right now. I should be be cleaning up the house. Uh, I should be getting some work done. I should finish that project. I should be doing this stuff with the kids or whatever. My friends, isn't it a great, great comfort? That when Martha comes to Jesus and says, tell her to get up and start doing something. In effect, Jesus says, leave her alone. She's done the right thing. She's chosen the good portion. Finally, finally, this story teaches us that individually and corporately, there is one thing necessary for us. What is that one necessary thing? Will somebody say it? I want to make sure this is loud and clear. What is the one necessary thing in this text? Sitting at the feet of Jesus. I see Cecil's lips moving, and I think that's what he said. Sitting at the feet of Jesus and learning from him. That will mean, dear friends, that in our individual lives, we prioritize spending time sitting under the word of Christ, and it will mean that we find ways to do that because this is the one necessary thing. And that will mean corporately we prioritize being together on the Lord's day because this is when the Lord speaks his word to us. And so Lord's day worship, morning and evening become a priority. You know, when we realize, I think when this truth really hits home, that there is but one thing, one thing that's necessary, all of our reasons for, for not being here really begin to sound quite trivial, don't they? Oh, I don't, I don't want to miss the game. The game over listening to Jesus? 
Uh, I, uh, I've got so much work to do. I've got so much homework to do. I just can't make time this week for listening to Jesus. I can't make it. The kids have sports practice. I, in love, think about it. Taking our kids to sports instead of bringing our children to sit at the feet of Jesus. Dear friends, where are our priorities? What trivial things we allow to crowd out the one thing, the one necessary thing, the one thing that's needful. Sitting at the feet of Jesus and learning from him. My friends, may the Lord stamp this onto our hearts so that it governs our lives and shapes us as a church. One thing is necessary. One thing is needed. And may we truly believe that. May we truly believe what Jesus is saying. One thing. One thing. My friends, before you die, there is actually only one thing on your to-do list that you absolutely must do. And that is to sit at the feet of Jesus Christ and learn of his grace, learn of his teaching, and submit your life to him. Well, let's pray together.